from Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C. This is the HPS Insights Podcast. Welcome to Distilled D.C., a mini-series from Hamilton Place Strategies HPS Insights, focused on how communicators distill complexity. I'm your host, Andrea Christensen, a managing director here at HPS. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Megan Leister. Megan is the Chief of National Communications and Outreach at Longwell Partners, where she has worked on some of the most pressing election issues over the past several months. Prior to her role at Longwell, she spent eight years at the Cato Institute, building the think tank's broadcast chops, booking and prepping dozens of scholars for television appearances, and building their in-house podcast and studio capabilities. Megan started her career as a producer at Fox News. Megan, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So you've been in your current role at Longwell for a little over a year. Can you talk about what you've been working on there? Sure. So um, Longwell Partners is a communication strategy firm run by Sarah Longwell, who's also the publisher of The Bulwark and the co-founder of Defending Democracy Together. And uh, DDT has quite a few projects under it. One is Republicans for the Rule of Law, which I did some work on it when I started here last year and also this year advocating for the impeachment and removal and conviction of Donald Trump. And I spent the bulk of my time last year on another DDT campaign, Republican Voters Against Trump. We found a lot of lifelong conservative and Republican voters that were willing to share their stories and their variety of reasons of why they wouldn't be voting for Donald Trump. And then we had these people act as the trusted messengers in their communities. Um, Politics can be so tribal that sometimes just hearing something from somebody that looks and sounds like you is the most effective um, messenger. And so they were in a lot of um, key districts in swing states that did end up flipping for Biden. And This year, it has evolved into the Republican Accountability Project, um, very much in the wake of Trumpism. And so we are holding elected officials accountable, Republican elected officials who are undermining our democracy. And um, we are also being active in um, being a community for those that do the right thing and uphold their oaths to the Constitution. Um, it can be really scary to go out on that limb in this environment, and we want them to know that there's a strong community of uh, people here that support them. So if I can ask, um, do you think that this will be successful? Do you think that, you know, the era of Trump is the future of the Republican Party long term, or do you think that kind of the work that you're doing is going to help, you know, change course? We do. I mean, um, coming off of the success of Republican voters against Trump and flipping those areas for Biden um, is a signal to us that there are a lot of people here um, that are Republicans or lifelong Republicans that don't identify with the MAGA Trump movement. And um, we have pledged to go through 2022 with this, and it's a $50 million project. So we are um, definitely willing to put a big stake in it. Well, good. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear that for one. And were you surprised at any of the districts you were able to flip? No. Uh, I mean, I was actually, I think um, a lot of a lot of people were, didn't know how election night was going to turn out. Um, 
I, it could have gone the other way, but I was feeling pretty confident. We have spent, had spent so much time, you know, doing focus groups of people in these areas and talking to local reporters and really trying to take the temperature on the ground that I was feeling pretty good about it. Awesome. All right. Well, you have made me more hopeful myself. Um, all right. So I want to shift back to Cato for a while because you were there for eight years um, can you talk a little bit about your role there, how it evolved over time and what prompted the shift to Longwell? Sure. So, um, my role initially was pretty niche, pretty small. It was just booking the Cato scholars with broadcast, um, reporters and producers. So mostly radio and TV. And from there, I was able to build a lot of contacts and get the Cato scholars into the national conversation as much as possible. And I, had the opportunity to take over Cato's production department. So we had a more proactive approach and we're trying to think of where things were going long-term and in the big picture and create more video content. And so at Cato, when you're working directly with scholars and you're working directly with external media, there's a lot of different tensions and communications challenges and prioritization that you have to deal with. So can you talk a little bit about how you balanced Um, these communications challenges and whether you felt like sometimes the internal was more difficult than the external? Sure. So prioritizing and deadlines are huge. Uh, I've been fortunate enough, both at Cato and Longwell, to work on campaigns and new research that uh, breaks news. And it can be really crazy to be in the thick of that environment. And it's super important to be responsive to reporters whenever they need something. Um, They don't work a nine to five. They don't work banker's hours. Anything can pop at any time. So neither do I. Um, Nights, weekends, whatever they need. And you just have to be ready to help them out accurately and quickly. And another thing that is helpful in that environment is transparency with reporters. If you don't have what they need or you can't get it to them in time, or there's somebody else with a deadline ahead of them, it's important to just be really open and honest and let them know. And that has served me pretty well in a field where people can put a lot of spin on things. And it's made for a lot of contacts that you know, continue to come back to me for their stories because we've built a real relationship of trust. Yeah, that's great. So looking back over the course of your career, um, does anything stand out as the most difficult or complex communications challenge and how do you deal with it? Um, So I have had the blessing and the curse to work with some pretty big personalities and some pretty big self-images during my career. And I think it's so easy to get caught up in the external communications importance and the messaging, but, but building trust with Um, your internal communicators and stakeholders is really important. Um, You know, people communicate different ways with each other and learning the communication style of the people that you're working with and what they respond best to is just really important to take the time and effort to make sure that you're both hearing each other. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, it's really important to build the trust and to make sure that when you tell them something or make a recommendation or give them a piece of advice that they feel like they can trust you and trust mm-hmm. what you're saying. Yeah. And it also, I found helps to um, give you a little authority 
with that you're the one who kind of knows what you're talking about going forward. Okay. Well, great. Let, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll ask Megan her advice to other communicators. Every two weeks, HPS measures U.S. adults' feelings and expectations for the economy. The Civic Science Economic Sentiment Index, powered by HPS, accurately measures movements in overall national economic sentiment and provides a more sophisticated alternative to existing economic sentiment indices. To learn more, contact us through HamiltonPlaceStrategies.com. We're back on Distilled DC, a mini-series from HPS Insights on communicating complexity. I'm here with Megan Leister, and we're about to get her advice to communicators looking to excel in their career. So Megan, what are one or two tools you think every communicator should have in their toolbox? Um, I, th- I think it's really important, it goes without saying, but I'll say it, is um, to have great contacts, to have a healthy and updated Rolodex of people that you can approach and go to. And it's also really important to be willing to be that person for others. Um, so many of these relationships are symbiotic um, and you can't coexist without the other. And I also just think it's important to be really direct and clear about what it is you are looking to do and to take responsibility um, for what you've done. I think it's okay to be wrong um, as long as you can defend it and feel confident that that was the right move at the time. You make a really important point about building and maintaining strong relationships and a good contact list. And I feel like that's something that we tell new associates at HPS and they work on multi-client. And I think some of the questions, especially from new communicators is, well, how do I go about doing that? Like, how do I, how do I build a network? Because X person might already know this reporter. And so is there any advice you'd give to people looking to just build their network from scratch? Yeah. Um, you know, DC is a small town and the communications game is actually a pretty small world. And so it's always important to just be thoughtful and mindful of that, no matter if you're early in your career or later in your career, because you never know who's going to cross your path again. It's also important that to understand the role of each reporter, um, you know, to keep a pretty carefully curated list, keep up with them and what they're following. Are they a beat reporter that only covers a certain thing or do they cover some more general news and what have they been covering lately? On the point of kind of maintaining relationships, um, somebody once suggested to look at Politico Playbook every morning and see whose birthday it is and just send them a note on their birthday (laughs) and just to keep like a non-transactional interaction, um, which is a really great idea. I've unfortunately haven't really had the discipline to do that. <laughs> um, but it's it's probably a good discipline to have, which leads me to my next question, because you were both a producer at Fox News, so you were taking incoming, and then you've also been someone who's pitched to media a lot. And so what advice would you have or suggestions would you have for, for people who are looking to, to pitch stories um, for their clients or for their organization um, it, that is going to be interesting to a reporter? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, but just to your point about, you know, different things you can do to, um, to establish stronger relationships with reporters, I found that meeting with them one-on-one, get off email, get off the phone. Um, I know it's so hard right now, but go have a coffee outside, have a drink. Uh, you probably already have 
enough in common with them because you're tracking the same issues and getting to know them on a more comfortable and personal level makes it so you can both take it to the next level where you're maybe just bouncing something off of each other can be a little more informal. And then I've just found that they are more likely to think of you first and come to you um, with a story or with a contact because they're also looking to build their contacts. So, um, so I've, I've actually never run into a situation where I've asked a reporter or producer to meet me if I'm in town and they haven't wanted to, they're usually very open to it. Um, But for your next question, just being to the point and being as timely as possible is the best thing you can do. Um, I think people can really get bogged down in making your press release look attractive and make sure your branding is on it. Maybe you have a witty opener and reporters don't need that and they're not looking for that. They want to know what it is you're trying to say and if it can help them out. And if your pitch is a good one, then that's really all you need. And um, once again, making sure that your list of reporters is carefully curated and it's going to the right people that would cover it and, um, and would be interested in your issue. And also it's, it's really helpful to be mindful of the news cycle. So for, for two reasons, one is if it's something a reporter can tie to the news that's already happening or breaking or something's upcoming, um, that's great. But it's also really important to be mindful of if other crazy things are happening in the news and these reporters that you're trying to reach out to, their attention has totally been taken over by it. I mean, you're just going to get lost. So just try to remember that even though you have a deadline of a campaign you're pushing, reporters are are chasing different news stories. And so you have to ask yourself, is this, does this relate to the current news cycle? And you don't want to be blasting out a irrelevant pitch during breaking news. It'll just get lost. Yeah, that's really good advice. So changing things just a little bit. I know you just started at Longwell and you love it and it's great. And you're doing really, really important work. Um, if you could choose one person or organization to be a spokesperson for, not including where you're currently working, um, who would it be and why? I don't, I don't know. That's actually really hard. You could be like the Pope. Oh, the Pope. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I don't think I'd want to deal with Talk that. about a mixed blessing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I realize it is a cheesy answer to say, you know, I'm happy where I am and I'm glad I'm doing this, but, it, but I am, I feel very lucky I'm doing what. I like to do, I'm doing what I'm good at. And it also has a greater meaning to be doing things that are pro-democracy, pro-America, you know, pro um, team building among the parties. I think that in this moment, I I don't think I would be rather, I, I wouldn't rather be anywhere else. I don't think a lot of people can give that answer. So <laughs> okay. it's fantastic that you can. Yeah. You've lived in DC for most of your life. And so I am hoping you can share some of your favorite things with our readers in the or our listeners, I'm sorry, in the DC area. So once COVID's kind of behind us, what bar or restaurant or activity would you recommend people do? I think I would just recommend that in this moment, keep being a patron to your favorite places in your neighborhood. Now, I unfortunately lost my favorite neighborhood bar because of the time that we're in. And I know we're all tired and things are hard, but it's so important to keep um, patronizing the bars and restaurants in your neighborhood that you love so that they're still with us when we get to the other side of it. 
Yeah, I've eaten everything on the menu on the restaurant that's okay. uh, across the street from me. Right. Uh, and that's great. It was lasagna. It was delicious. Yep. Um, and that's just super important. Yes, it is. Um, so okay. thank you for tuning in to Distill DC, a mini series from HBS Insights. Special thanks to our guest today, Megan Leister. You can find out more about Hamilton Place Strategies work in our podcast at hamiltonplacestrategies.com or by following us on Twitter at HPS Insight. I'm your host, Andrea Christensen. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights Podcast, produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights and follow us on the web at hamiltonplacestrategies.com.